0: connell tribune thursday 2030 august 2018. easter week in the psalm 100 years in the making as we enter the last few months of the 100th anniversary of the greatest blood feast and slaughter in history we should reflect on events 100 years ago and consider where imperial history sits within irish history and how we should commemorate it not sure how readers locally think about events at the Somme, Ypres and the Verdun. Personally I never had the slightest interest in these, those claiming out of trenches to be slaughtered by German heavy machine guns or indeed vice versa. Yet I was born only 35 years after the Armistice was brokered at the Western Front on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. History was close by, like kids nowadays born around the time of the hunger strikes just over 35 years ago but now part of history. But that history for many was living history as they had family members putting on a British uniform and living through the horror for whatever reason. About 13 years ago I spent a week at Ypres in the Somme and visited the war graves. It was a humbling experience and brought the horror home. The miles and miles of little white headstones filled with the youth of a generation one could not be but moved by what we witnessed. Irish history is strewn with a wreckage of historical events which have embedded their way into our national psyche. The Famine, 1798, the of Union, Emancipation, the Land League, the Fenians, the Lockout, Partition and many more. But the two events from 1916 have captured the imagination like nothing else, Easter Week and the Somme. The event entered the national consciousness more so Easter week within nationalism but the psalm creates similar feelings within unionism and loyalism. The majority of events represent a rejection of foreign domination and have a special place in our histori- historiography whereas the psalm reflects a sacrifice for the empire claiming the lives of thousands of Irishmen a paradox beyond comprehension. Irish men died in the mud at the Verdun, but we were wearing the uniform of the British army and so for 90 years became non-people. No parades past the GPO for this group, no ballads, no space in the history books except as a footnote. And as Mary McAleese said, if you survived the psalm, you kept your mouth shut and medals in a shoebox under the bed. But it was the woman from Ardoun who created the sea change in attitudes during her time as president. Every school child in the Republic and nationalist areas in the six counties could ram off the signatories to the proclamation. Pearson, Connolly, McDonough, McDermott, Plunkett, Kent and old Tom Clark. They had entered a mystical place in history. Every school had the proclamation on the wall. Every Easter we marched to commemorate them. Easter week was the Holy Grail. It was a part of what we were. But for one million in the North, it wasn't part of what they were. To their community, the sacrifice of the Somme was their Easter week. Thousands of working class loyalists who would never return from the war to end all wars. It's an amazing take on our shared history that it has taken nine decades to embrace the fact that soldiers down on the battlefield at Ypres were just as Irish as those killed on the ramparts of the GPO. Controversial as that may be to many, we have come far as a nation to understand it. The use of history as a political weapon has been common throughout our troubled past. Nationalism embraced Easter week and Loyalism in the Somme. For 80 years, history was taught differently in schools. When Nationalists were celebrating the 50th anniversary in '66, Loyalists were celebrating the loyal sons of Ulster marching to the Somme. Richard English writing an armed struggle, said Pierce created a separatist Valhalla, constrained a complex reality that authenticity was separatism from Britain. He also claimed the rebels had a nationalist hypothesis which lifted them to martyrology. English might not have brought into the nationalist version of history, but he captures the mood. Boyer Bell in his book on the troubles in the 70s refers back to Easter week. A few minutes past noon on Easter Monday, Pierce appeared between the iconic columns of the GPO and read from a hastily printed proclamation. Bell, once again, invoking the mystical figure of Pierce. And finally, Fergal McGarry in Republicanism, modern Ireland, the language of blood and martyrdom was not only part of the European patriotic cyclist, it was part of a shared lexicon. This is the Ireland many of us grew up in, which reflected the view of the majority of citizens on the island, and her celebration of the men of Easter Week part of her culture. Although sparingly since the '70s, as the Northern conflict brought the reality of blood sacrifice home to many, especially in the Republic. But this is not history. Was, this is not how history was taught in state schools in the six counties. Their culture has a loyalty to Britain, and serving in the British armed forces is almost a given. On the 1st of July every the year they celebrate another blood sacrifice but it's for young Irish men killed at the Somme in the uniform of the crown. It's a symbolic a date for loyalism as Easter week is to nationalism. Ironically the most significant event in loyalist history is also 1st of July 1690 when a gay king and a white stallion crossed the Boyne to celebrate a great victory and was congratulated by the Pope. Such are the vagaries of Irish history. Us, loyalists, celebrate these events each year in July with Forever. There might be confusion over the actual date in 1690 and what the actual battle was about, but there's no confusion about the Somme. Regarded as the greatest battle of World War I, four million working class soldiers from Belfast, Berlin and Bordeaux fought over a piece of land stretching just 40 kilometres. 60,000 British soldiers and Irish and British uniforms were casualties on day one, which included 5,500 from Ulster, nationalists and unionists, although mostly loyalists, with many been uvf and the 36th Ulster Division. In total, over the five months of the battle, the British suffered 420,000 casualties, Germany 400,000 and the French 340,000. Over a million killed or wounded for what? 40 kilometers of mud and slime. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth corrupted lungs. Obscene as cancer, bitter as the curd, vile incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high jest, such high zest, to children ardent for desperate glory, the old lie, dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. Charles Townsend in Easter 1916 laments that the date of the Great War have been marginalised and sidelined until now. Helen Bridge, the National War Memorial, is at a considerable distance from the centre of Dublin, a sign of public invisibility. In Stephen Screen, busts of Countess Markovitch and Tom Kettle sit close by each other, but angled as if they don't quite see eye to eye. Both nationalists, but one from a privileged background, who threw her lot in with the Dublin, Dublin working class against the Empire? The other, an Irish nationalist poet, threw his lot in with the Empire, paradox personified. Townsend sheds a light on the probable impossibility to reconcile Easter week and the Somme, suggesting that both may be better understood by a more capricious understanding of the past. Thirteen years ago, when I got a chance to visit the war graves of the Somme, it was one of the most moving experiences of my life. I was with an eclectic group, Catholic, Protestant, cross-border, Nationalist, Unionist, Republican, Loyalist, ex-political prisoners, British soldiers and UDR. It was challenging, informative and educational. Not long before we visited Eber, Mary McAleese, the Queen and the Belgian President had opened the Peace Park. And round tower built by Irish kids from the Shanklin Falls, Donegal, and Dublin. The enormity of war was palpable, especially at Tyne Cut Cemetery in Passchendaele. 11,000 little white headstones and a curved wall containing 60,000 names of those slaughtered in the mud, crushed by tanks, gassed, or never found. Mary Magalies suggested that every school in Ireland should organise trips to the Somme and Verdun to show leaving certain A-level students the futility of war. Standing with a group in discussion at the Peace School, it became clear the trip was an emotional experience for many who had relatives killed during the conflict and this was the first time anyone in their family had visited their graves. This was loyal, loyalist history, but was it ours? We spent many long hours on the french belgian border dissecting the intricate nuances of our shared history. It wasn't easy. Could we interpret our history in an inclusive manner? Were we mature enough in our thinking to accept that death and conflict doesn't take any prisoners? Doesn't ask what religion or nationality are. The industrial slaughter of World War I used the working-class soldiers of all countries as pure cannon fodder, fools led by donkeys. For me, it was a true learning experience, a part of Loyalist history which I was immune to. A realization that a great part of our shared history wasn't shared at all. This has major implications for historians who rely on extracting history from the archives. If certain aspects of history can be distorted, we need to be careful to make the retrieval of the story paramount. Native Americans, Kurds, Palestinians, the Irish in Scotland, Catalans and Basques, all have suffered with attempts to write them out of history. Soldiers from the wee streets around Sandy Row, the Shankle and the Watershed who marched to their death at Thiepville and Messines Ridge deserve recognition just as much as the men in the GPO. Okay, they may have fought for the wrong country, died in the wrong war but it is an integral part of Irish history. Tom Kettle and Francis Ledwidge, both nationalists and poets, died in World War One. Ledwidge, Poem for Thomas MacDonough executed after Easter Week by the Army. He fought for probably says more than anything about the shared history of this island. He shall not hear the bitter cry in the wild sky where he is laying, nor voices of the sweeter birds I love the wailing of the rain, nor shall he know when loud March blows, though slanting shows snows her fanfare shrill, blowing to bl- flame the golden cup. Of many an upset daffodil, and when the dark cow leaves the moor, and the pasture's poor with greedy weeds, perhaps he'll hear her low at morn, lifting her horn and pleasant meads.